0: To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit amazon.com
2: Prime to get more out of whatever you're into.
1: So, how many of uh, uh,
2: have any of you have anyone gathered around this table seen La La Land yet? I haven't seen it, um, and I'm getting a bit of grief at home because Rachel has this theory that it's, you know, Oscar bait because it's set in L.A. But I am a huge fan of the fa- the film that I discover from the, the Twitters that you are also a huge fan of, which Les Parapluies de Cherbourg. Yes, Les Parapluies de Cherbourg is one of my favourite films. Incredibly uh, knowledgeable. Uh, film Buffy wife has never seen so well, you know, I feel I'm a slightly ahead, is, ahead of the game on this because it does is, seem to be an homage to
1: uh, it, but he says that the thing he's, about he's, La La Land he, is he French the director? No he's American but, but he sounds but he, French so the thing about Jacques, Jacques Demi was, is Demi and Chazelle Demi and Chazelle okay. yeah. Uh, yeah. But he, but, so he makes he's made this film and he hasn't quite said this but Jacques, so Jacques Demi makes The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, wonderful film, French musical. Then he makes another film called uh, Les Demoiselles de Rochefort, Young Girls of Rochefort, another wonderful film. And Hollywood comes calling, and they say to him in the late 60s, Jacques, come to America, make the film you want. You can make what you want. And he makes a film called Model Shop, which is... um, Never heard of it. uh, uh, ..a disaster. It's not a musical, it is incredibly <laughs> odd. Uh,
3: Horrible! <laughs> it's known,
1: it's known in, the, in the industry as model flop for many Uh-oh. years. And Jacques Demy never gets to make another film in the States. And you can watch La La Land and think, oh, OK, th- I'll tell you what this is. This is somebody making the film they wish Jacques Demy had made mm. when he got to Hollywood. So it's set in Hollywood and it has all these references to the MGM musicals, but it's so like The Umbrellas of Cherbourg And so like The Young Girls of Rochefort. I I mean, I really loved it. I loved it. Um, Should we
2: start this this Uh, (laughs) mofo? Hello, and welcome to Backlisted, the podcast that gives new life to old books. We're gathered cozily around the kitchen table in the distressed brickwork bedecked offices of our sponsors, Unbound. The website which brings authors and readers together to create something special. I'm John Mitchinson, the publisher of Unbound.
1: And I'm Andy Miller, author of The Year of Reading Dangerously. And uh, joining us round that table are not one but two special guests this time for uh, a unique uh, episode of Batlisted in both its subject and uh, the promise that has been made that it will be exceptionally foul
4: mouthed. <laughs> so, um, the
1: first guest. Right is um, Dr Una McCormack, a lecturer in creative writing at Anglia Ruskin University. Uh, she is also the New York Times best-selling author. Uh, that, by your yeah. own admission. Uh, that's I love true. that. It's yeah, true, New York Times best yeah. She has a, 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 a sideline in writing novels based on TV and movie franchises. That's right. Such as?
0: Star Trek. Amazing. Doctor Who, and, this will test your age, Blake Seven. Oh. oh. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: And you, of all the people gathered around this table, you are the one who knows most about Blake Seven. Although I know a bit about Blake Seven.
0: That, usually, that's true oh. around any table. <laughs> it's funny when I when I go so to the so. when I go
2: to the Blake Seven folder in my brain and, I, and open it, I, I find it's almost nothing in there. I, I, I did watch it. I must have watched many episodes in my young, you know, life. There are fifty-two. they're (laughs) incredible isn't that the Uh, same as Star uh, Trek 75 uh, isn't it the original
0: uh, oh I can't remember
2: our (laughs) Georgia Hare episode will follow in several hours time (laughs) (laughs) yes we should say that our other guest (sighs) is Kathy Rensenbrink Kathy is an author uh, and associated with the bookseller, and like all the best people, a graduate of the Waterstones Academy for people who sell books well. Oh. Her memoir, *The Last Act of Love*, about the death of her brother, was published to great acclaim last year. It's a Indeed, wonderful one of, book. One we have of to the great, a wonderful great, book great books a wonderful book. of Thank recent you. of recent publishing, and we're very, very pleased to have both of you here.
1: <laughs> the book uh, Kathy and Una have come in to talk about is historic in several ways. It's historic because it is a, a, a period romance. Uh, Agency. Venetia by Georgette Hayer. It's also historic because only three men in history have ever read this book
3: <laughs> Stephen
1: Fry. John Mitchison and myself.
3: I must say, it's the achievement of my life that I have made you both read Georgia. Heyo, I think that is spectacular. I'm no. done, I'm giving up, no matter what else happens in <laughs> the whole rest of my life. I, really yeah, yeah on the I, gravestone. The thought of one, Andy
0: reading Venetia over the last yeah, few yeah, weeks has, you know, has been, sustained me
2: slightly, I, It was one of the things that slightly kept me going, I have to say, imagining yeah. Andy <laughs> reading it going... <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. going to. showing I my
0: hand
4: already I really enjoyed also, it The other part of it. our deal enjoyed was
3: that, that Andy was going to read Venetia and I was going to read um, Anita Bruckner's first novel which I now can't remember what it is and also I haven't read it yet It's oh. called The
1: Start in Life and backlisted listeners will be heartily sick of me banging <laughs> yeah. on about Anita Bruckner but anyway And
3: I do feel a bit ashamed I haven't read it yet but I also think well there's probably not many arenas in which Georgia Hale beats over <laughs> Anita <laughs> yes. Bruckner so we're I'll giving one that. for her
1: okay. I'll give you that yeah But uh, before we talk about that...
2: Yes, Andy. Yes? What have you been reading (laughs) (laughs) this week?
1: Well, coincidentally, and it is a coincidence, I've been reading a book by our former guest on Backlisted, Samantha Ellis... She was on here talking about Lolly Willows and Sylvia Townsend Warner. She was great. One of the great discoveries of last year, for me, anyway. Her last book was called How to Be a Hero, and we talked a little bit about that when she was on. That is a Biblio memoir, terrific book. Anyway, she's got a new book out, which is the book I've been reading. It's called Take Courage, Anne Bronte and the Art of Life. And the combination of reading this and watching To Walk Invisible,
4: yeah. uh,
1: Sally Wainwright's film over yeah. Christmas, I've sort of had a crash course in the Brontes. I don't think I've ever really had. And the thing about the Brontes is it's so... Their lives are so incident-packed. I'm just going to read you out this one little... There's a story. <laughs> before we talk about Samantha's book, there's a story on page 67 of this book, <laughs> which, if it were an event that happened to you in your life or the life of someone you knew, would be the defining event in their life. but here it is, just this is in passing. Anne was at school when Patrick was shouted down at the 1837 Haworth election hustings, and 20-year-old Bramwell tried to intervene. The village made an effigy of Branwell, with a potato in one hand and a herring in the other, and carried it through Main Street before burning it. I mean, if you had been burnt in effigy by the age of 21, mm. that would be enough to, to fuel the entire book, wouldn't it? But that's just a passing detail mm. in, in this. What Samantha does in this book, which is so good, is she manages to make it about Anne Bronte, who's the uh, Is she the, the eldest? She is right? the youngest. The youngest, She right. is the author of Agnes Grey and the Tenant so of Hall*. So it White goes Charlotte, Belper. Emily, and Anne. Yeah, that's right. And so although the book is about Anne, it's about the history of uh, the Brontes. And it's like a compendium of stories about all members of the family. A uh, saurus, if you will.
4: Very nice. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you've,
2: been, that's all, you've been polishing that all week, haven't you? It
1: Get, gets up from table, walks out. The door.
2: Um, they were really called Bronte,
1: weren't they? Do you know that? Well, they were, they were really called all sorts of different yeah. things before Patrick Bronte...
2: It fixed it was upon. To, it was to do with Nelson had a some. Wasn't it some in, 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 uh, to, to mark some medal that, that Nelson had been given. Yeah. I can't remember. He was I the thought Duke he
0: d- just thought it sounded too Irish in Cambridge. That's odd. Well, maybe I yeah, don't yeah. know it's that as
2: well, isn't it? Brunty.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think they had an Irish father, Cornish mother, like yeah. me, which is why ah. that's why I've retained that piece of information. Ah.
1: But it's also a quite passionate book about. Anne Bronte and the extent to which Anne Bronte has been marginalised traditionally mm. in the way the Brontes are written about. But also, Samantha does a really good thing which, which I think is quite risky because the extent to which it, it might not work is quite high, of putting herself into the book in such a way as to personalise the story that she's telling you while she does it. And it's making those three elements balance out uh, which is, I think, what's so good about the book. It really moved. I found it very right. moving. Cathy, you've read it. Haven't you?
3: Yeah, I have. And I just loved it, and it was such a treat. It was a, it was a treat. I read it. I was on the, sort of the road doing various festivals, and of course, having to. You know, I'd read all the books already, but then having to sort of like revise three books for a panel that afternoon another three books. And that was the book I was reading when I was just reading for my own pleasure that was, was yeah. no job. And it was just beautiful. It was like, it palate cleansed me and intrigued yes. and amused me all at the same time. I did think um, Charlotte doesn't come out of it tremendously well, I didn't feel.
1: She doesn't... Uh, yeah, I don't think she's terribly keen on Charlotte while acknowledging her as a great writer, because she... The portrait she paints of Charlotte in this book is of somebody who was sort of... that famous phrase about Paul McCartney and George Harrison, that uh, Paul McCartney was always uh, two years older than George Harrison (laughs) 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 and never let George Harrison forget it. In fact, Sam has a brilliant comparison in this book. Do you remember? She has a brilliant comparison in this book where she says, like... It's, it's Anne been Anne Bronte's sad loss in life to be the George Harrison of the Brontes. Yeah. Right, so <laughs> yeah. you've, got, you've got Emily as I the Lennon you, yeah. figure and yeah. Charlotte as the controlling McCartney figure. I, I, I
2: thought you were going to polish off... Br- Bramwell is Stuart
1: Suckley. Oh, uh, uh, Victor Lewis
2: uh, Smith's great uh, line, you know, the Beatles are dying in the wrong order. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> um, but no, I really, I, lo- I really love the book and I recommend
1: it... Um, Just as a really And is it just coincidence? It's not connected to the T V show at all. It's just no, not at all. But I mean the Brontes are always with us, aren't they? And her book (laughs) How to Be a
3: Heroine is also (laughs) excellent. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. And I really like that style of sort of literary criticism with some personal memoir threaded through, very readable, very enjoyable. Feels like a conversation. So I would just read her on anything, I think. Yeah, yeah. She could say I've got a book out next year, it's about X and I'd say
2: yes, please. (laughs) I'm always a bit nervous when people do the putting yourself in a Mm. in a book, but memories of the ghastliness of Peter Ackroyd's fictional interpolations (laughs) in his in his (laughs) in his Dickens biography. (laughs) Apologies, Mr. Ackroyd, if you're listening, but they were howling. I mean, it was just bad. It was a bad idea. Yeah, didn't work. But it's that sounds great. I mean, I and I, I think. Like you say, they, they are always with us, but their lives were just remarkable, weren't they? I mean, There's always
1: something, that's the point, I mean, one of the reasons why they're always with us is because there are always new ways to talk about them and new ways to interpret them. Mm. Have you ever read The Tenants of Wildfell Hall? No, I have not. Is it good? I read it last year. I absolutely loved it. Great. And actually, it's very difficult. I think if you read this book about Anne Bronte and you haven't read The Tenants of Wildfell Hall, you sort of can't. Yeah. I always to. want to. You'll want to read it so much. She after lived finishing in
2: Scarborough this for quite a long time, where my mum lived for a while, or well, my dad and mum lived for a while. So she sorry. died in Scarborough. Yeah, so yeah. She died in, she's, she's buried in Scarborough. Sorry. There were
1: five all... errors on her gravestone. Really? Yeah. No Anne without an e or? Or? And without an or yeah, got the age wrong. Brilliant. You know, <laughs> mate, she was the author of "Not a Penny More, Not a Penny Less." <laughs> 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 all sorts of stuff. Poor old Anne <laughs> <laughs> the master storyteller. And yeah, where well, was the respect?
4: Um, you,
1: sorry, this is Una. You, you, was it you? I think you're one of the people who made me read. Lieutenant Wildfell
0: Hall. Yeah, I read, uh, uh, when I was on maternity leave, I went a bit I went a bit mad. And uh, part of the contributory to that was uh, I reread the whole of the Brontes. <laughs> the whole of them? Everything. I did, yeah. Amazing. Uh, ju- just the fiction. I, re- I read some a load of ancillary Not the journals. Well. Not, not <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> bus tickets and the yeah. shopping lists. So, uh, and, and Wildfell Hall, I thought, was... What a, gr- that's yeah. a great
2: summer project, isn't
1: it, to do the Brontes? Yeah, and you yeah. was that one of the ones that you I'd
0: felt read it came before up, a, a yeah. long time ago. Probably, I think most people read these as teenagers, I, I, don't they? I've yeah. never
2: read, I've never reread w- *Wuthering Heights*. So it's I
0: exactly the opening of it. It's exactly like *Rising Damp*. <laughs> 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 it's extraordinary. It's, it really, really is. I, doesn't, doesn't up, you all I, mean, I, I absolutely <laughs> loved it when I read it <laughs> when it I was a 17. a yeah. hanged that I I think reread it, I it a few
3: read. years ago and felt I'm now too old for it. Really? I just, Did you? Yeah, I found it a bit... But actually, I must say, that is happening to me an awful lot. Oh. Now that yeah. I'm the grand old not, age of 44, and I but find but I'm just not <laughs> interested in people's romantic mutterings. It's
2: boring.
1: But also, that thing with the Brontës' books that seems will never settle, which is good, Is that different books seem to speak to different audiences in different eras, and so *The Tenant of Wildfell Hall*, which which was *The Tenant of Wildfell Hall*, no, it's all social realist about and and was very controversial when it was published and was suppressed effectively by Charlotte after Anne's death. Anyway, what have we
2: done? Hey, John. Oh, yeah, what have I been reading? <laughs> oh yeah. So, t- now, for something completely different. What have you been reading this week? I've been reading a book called yeah. Mad Shepherds. This book was given to me by the novelist and general all-round good guy, Ben Myers, because he knew oh, that yeah. I... In I, 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 the winter, I get very... I find it difficult getting up in the dark. Mm. And the, about the only thing that can coax me out of bed is to read books about <laughs> nature. <laughs> um, <laughs> This is brilliant. L.P. Jacks is a sort of one of those figures that we don't really have. He's a Unitarian minister. Wrote between the wars. This book was written in nineteen ten. It's called Mad Shepherds. It's he knew and lived in the Cotswolds. He was a he was, I think, one of the professor at Manchester College in Oxford, and a writer and a sort of you know minor kind of Shavian figure, mm-hmm. sort of philosopher, religious. But this is this is just bloody brilliant. This book. It's just it, it, if you like tales of the, the main character is a shepherd called Snarly Bob and it's <laughs> I'm just this, you know I'm not going to try and sell it to you I'm just going to read you a passage because it, 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 it's the it's the it's the fun when mm-hmm. Snarly Bob met Shepherd Toller at Valley Head he found him accouted in a manner which verified his private theory as to the levitation of the kettle coiled round <laughs> Toller's left arm were three slings made from strips of raw oxide with pouches large and small for hurling stones of various size. Slung over his bag was a big bag, also of leather, which contained his ammunition, smooth pebbles gathered from the torrent bed, the largest being the size of a man's fist. Strapped round his waist was a flint axe, the head being a beautiful Celt, which Toller had discovered long ago on clundowns and skilfully fixed in a handle with thongs. This is the sentence that I love. In the days of Toller's first madness... It had been his habit to wander over clundowns equipped in this manner. He had lived in some fastness fastness of his own devising and supplied his larder by the occasional slaughter of a stolen sheep, whose skull he would split with a bow, blow from the flint axe. The slings were rather for amusement than hunting, though his marksmanship was excellent and he was said to be able at any time to bring down a rabbit or even a bird. All day long he would wander in unfrequented uplands, slinging stones at every object that tempted his eye and roaring and dancing with Delight whenever he hit the mark He was inoffensive enough and had never been known To deliberately (laughs) aim at a human being Though more than one shooting party had been Considerably alarmed by the crash of Toller's stones among the branches or by his Long-range sniping of the white-clothed luncheon Table. On one occasion, Toller Had landed a huge pebble the size of an Eight-pound shot into the very bullseye of the Feast, to wit, a basket Containing six bottles of high-tech Special Reserve it was this performance which led Sir George to report the case to the authorities and insist on Toller being put under restraint.
4: <laughs> it's just...
2: What?
1: <laughs> Wait, so, I mean, sorry, I'm, I'm unclear. So, Is this
2: fiction or non-fiction? It, I, it's, you know what? I'm still at the end of it. I'm, I think it's non-fiction, but I think it's fictionalised non-fiction. It says literature. I mean, it's, it's on, in, a, in a list. Uh, it's, it's published by Oxford University Press. The stories... Are just, I mean, if you like rural stories of mad shepherds, yeah. and Snarly Bob is, of course, the you know the font of all wisdom about these things. It's and the thing about shepherds is they don't really live in towns, they don't live in anything, they live up on the downs with mm. the sheep. And so it's a kind of yeah, it's a record of a lost world. It's got lots and lots and lots of funny. I
1: must say the blur. I'm looking at the blur yeah. while you're talking to. Each other. There's some terrific stuff on the blur. Yeah. Yeah. Other characters are shoemaker Hankin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The Parsons' wife who used to be an actress. <laughs> it's a continuous vein of dry humour runs throughout the book which manages to be absorbing and charming without being over-sentimental. I, I
2: have had many... Some. on, the, in, in, on a, week, a week of indifferent weather, I have to say, and dark mornings. I mean, I opened the... Last Monday, I opened the curtains of that thing and nothing happens when you open the curtains. The darkness mm. is so absolute, absolute, absolute. So it's been a, it's been a joy. L.P. Jack's mm. Mad Shepherds, published in, by... This isn't in print at the I moment, is it? I don't think it is, but I, if you can find it, I think you might be able to, you know, A, books... If you like, you know, tales of eccentric... Uh, characters from rural life. This is the one for you. Also,
1: it, the title, I appre- I like the title. How mad- could you- what should we call this book?
2: Mad Shepherds. It's about Mad, mad Shepherds. That's it says on the
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call it Mad Shepherds. Oh, yeah. I bought Brilliant. this book.
1: Great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> we'll pick this up again after some adverts. Stay tuned to this. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. So let us turn to Mrs. Hayer. Miss Hayer? Miss Hayer. Hayer. Miss Hayer. Mrs. Rougier. Thank you. First of several corrections that will be occurring. (laughs) Or Dame Georgette. Or Dame Georgette. So, Kathy, you chose this book, Venetia. Mm. When did you first encounter this book or Georgette Hayes
2: novels.
3: Not when I was very young, which a lot of people that I know love George O'Hare. sort of read them off their mother's bookshelves when they were 12, etc. My mother thinks this sort of thing is a pile of massive tripe, so I never got a sniff when I was growing up. Uh, and somehow I didn't, um, I'd didn't. i go to the library and get out all sort of Jean Plady, all that kind of thing, yeah. historical novels. But again, yeah. George O'Hare wasn't in, in Snaith Library, so I sort of missed out. And I think it was when I lived in America for a bit, and, in the, yeah, and, and I started reading actually American writers writing historical novels set in England, which there is a big, because mm. they all love them. So there's vast amounts of, and they're all in very funny formats, like very what small pocketbook yeah. paperbacks. Oh, I see, okay, yeah. So there's yeah, this, I can't yeah. remember her name now. There's this American writer who wrote books set in kind of 15th century York. So, for some reason, it was one of my quirks. While I was living yeah, in, yeah. in New York, I would yeah. sort of eat these historical <laughs> novels. And I think, I think by that, I accidentally started reading Georgia Hayes and did very quickly realise this is a completely different... I think she's a completely different case from the, 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 the rest, you know, the rest of the Regency romances.
1: Yeah, the phrase Regency romance, i just... So, Regency romance is not... I didn't even know that was a genre... until we started reading this and doing a bit of homework. And and clearly, it's not only is it a genre, it's a huge genre which still sells... And Hayer, and and Street, Hayer, Hayer still inventions. sells. It's like one of the best-selling yeah. authors in the world, uh, uh, still, I see yeah. every
2: sales, year. Sales, right? Yeah, it's sort of like half a million copies or something mm-hmm. in the last...
1: So you found these... So you would go out to Central Park, say, or there Times was a, there Square... Was a,
3: yeah, there was a Barnes & Noble <laughs> at the end of my... Uh, West 21st Street, yeah. Barnes & Noble West Street. It was 24-hour...
4: Yeah, I was yeah. leading
3: a slightly... Str- I was writing... This novel never came to anything. I was writing in, in the night and then sort of finishing at kind of five o'clock in the morning with nowhere to go. <laughs> We're going out to the <laughs> shop and bulk buy these... George um, t- Georgia Hayden, though? <laughs> and... Um, I mean, it,
2: utter pleasure, really, once you get the... Once you kind of get into the, the swing of it. I... Well, before, it, yeah, before
1: say. we get to to the let's let's continue with the enthusiastic, informed part of the show <laughs> rather than the bemused men. <laughs> Una, when did you? No, can I'm you d- remember the first Georgia Hale that you read?
0: Uh, oh, crumbs! I think it might have. Been, I think it might have been Venetia, actually. Yeah, it was Venetia or Friday's Child, which I, I think is her best one. And I also didn't read them as a as a teenager. I did. My mum was too busy watching Child Bronson films, so, uh, <laughs> so there's no Georgia Hale. And. Um, I, d- I came to her because I, I've got a writer that I love a lot of science fiction writers called Lois Bujold and in front of one of her books she has a little epigram and it's to Georgette, Jane, Dorothy and Charlotte and uh, it's Jane Austen, Charlotte Bronte it's Dorothy Dunnett who's a historical. Louis, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, fantastic uh, and Georgette Heyer and so my friends who are sort of pressing books on me and I was doing a PhD which meant I needed a lot of things to be doing that weren't that so I, I kind of started to okay. read her books. But I think Venetia was the first one. Yeah, in well, my I've,
1: 20s. I, I've been really aware that when we've told people that we were going to be doing this, that actually uh, it's really encouraging when you see loads of people responding and saying, Oh, I love Georgette Heyer. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, I can't wait to hear this. And the enthusiasm for it.
2: Yeah. You know, s- from Sarah Churchwell. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, Sarah of, Churchill. Yeah. Uh, American literature to Indianite, yeah. And uh, yeah. It, Harriet uh, Evans is a big it, fan. Uh, yeah. Quite often, there's
3: a little Georgia Hay joke buried in one of her novels. Oh, nice. A.S. Byatt,
1: is it? A.S. Byatt, that's right. Yeah. John, did you enjoy reading this?
2: It really, I did really enjoy it. I mean, you know, with a slight, I guess, you know, you have that thing of. Slightly surprised that I'd never really, I'd never really thought about reading a Georgia Hare before, because it's, I mean, I love historical fiction, and I do like Dorothy Dunnett is somebody who I've, I've, I've read and enjoyed in the past, but I just think it's, I just, just very, very good at what she does. I mean, it, it, I can't say that it's, you know, made me reassess, you know, the, uh, the function of fiction in my life, but it um, <laughs> pure kind of chicken soup. Yeah. yeah. I was saying earlier, maybe you know that fantasy you always have of just locking yourself away in a room and reading the whole of P.G. Woodhouse I can imagine sitting there and I serially think of her
3: like Woodhouse yeah. I don't think of her as the leader of the Regency romance genre for me she sits on my kind of comfort comic novel shelves yeah. so Georgette Heyer, Woodhouse Map and Lucia, I capture yeah. the castle yeah, 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 for yeah, me yeah, she's yeah. in that space she, i like mean, it they, with they, war actually are
0: they more I a, think yeah. she's
2: at least as good as war when you read a lot of them, I mean, do they become predictable? You know, you the, know out, the outcome of Venetia yeah, is, yeah. is pretty
3: well think there's, there's, there's an there's awful lot of subverts, she subverts yeah. the form a lot as well. Yeah. And she, I think she's a comic novelist. She continually yeah, yes. jokes about the form. So mm. quite often, the heroine turns out to be not the heroine you're expecting. So, for example, The Talisman Ring, which is another mm. really great one, there's a sort of an obvious young couple. And then there's this kind of other romance that's happening yeah. very much off stage. that's yeah. sort of right. done, yeah. that, that's done with a wink to the older Black reader. Black Sheep you know, as well, doesn't Black it? Sheep, I love it? Black Sheep. I, I must yeah. say, yeah. I
1: mean, I'd never... I'll tell you exactly what I knew about Georgette Heyer before we did this. And it was classic... Uh, sorry, Waterstones. <laughs> 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 but it was a classic Waterstones thing. So I ran the fiction section in Waterstones, Kensington High Street for a couple of years. And all I knew about Georgia Hare, apart from the fact that, that they were then published as a formats by Mandarin in the early 1990s, that's oh yeah, I yeah, yeah. right, all I knew about her was that she'd written a book called These Old Shades. Oh, yes. Because uh, my floor manager, Andrew Vickery, <laughs> would go, have you got these old shades? I can't find these old shades. And it was a running joke between us. So this is how we pass the time on lates until nine o'clock at night, making jokes about these old shades. But that's all I, that's all I, I knew about her.
0: Well, it's um, no surprise that was the book that you'd heard of. I, I think that. That's the one I, I mentioned yeah, to you, wasn't the, it? it? It's a gateway one, I think. It's the it
1: one that like, you was know, her first big book, wasn't it? These old shades. Yeah, I mean, my,
3: shades. that's not one of my. That's not one of my favourites yeah. actually. It's an early it, one. Isn't it? It's kind of a little bit it's arch and camp and. Yeah. Not that there's necessarily bad things. It's phenomenal fun. It is lots of fun. Cross
0: dresses. So shall
3: we?
2: Blurb. Should
3: we do the, blurbs, the blurb first, or, yeah. or should we
1: have a flavour of it first? I am going to read the two blurbs, because yeah. they're both short. I've got a, a blurb from a 1970s edition of Venetia, and then I've got the blurb on the current edition. And there is a really fascinating... For once, there is a fascinating difference between these two. <laughs> for once. Ones. So I'm read, yeah, for once, exactly. So the seven, this is the 70s blurb. Here we go. Lord Damerel found Venetia to be the most truly engaging and wittily perverse female he had encountered in all his 38 years. Venetia knew her neighbour for a gamester a shocking rake, and a man of sadly unsteady character. It was, that's on my passport. It was, therefore, particularly provoking to find that, given occasion, Damerel could make up his mind to be quite idiotically noble, mark of ellipsis. So that's the, that's the 70s one. Yeah, which doesn't here, actually make a great deal of sense. Here is, the, here is the contemporary one, and we can play spot the difference. There's a very significant difference. In all her 25 years, lovely Venetia Lanyon has never been further than Harrogate, <laughs> nor enjoyed the attentions of any but her two wearisomely persistent suitors. Then, in one extraordinary encounter, she meets a neighbour she only knows by reputation, the infamous Lord damerel and before she realises it, finds herself egging on a libertine whose way of life has scandalised the North riding for years. What is the difference between those two blurbs, everybody?
0: Well, I would say that it's Venetia took more of a centre stage on the yes, second one, and exactly. that Damerill is the focus of the first.
3: I would also say that in the later one, the blurb is catching up with the intent of the book
0: yeah. mm. rather than the other way around. Right. And that I is totally why I think Georgia
3: Hare is amazing. And also, I'm not surprised A.S. Byatt likes her, mm. because one of my other favourite novels of all time, if I can go a bit off topic, is Possession. Yep. Yep. Mm. And a lot of Possession is about people, particularly. Ellen Ash mm. giving a false idea of herself through her journals. Yes. Mm. And I think that is so much of what Georgia Hare is doing in her novels is she's sort of she's yeah, yeah, I'm the Queen of Regency romances, whatever. Mm. But she's also continually joking and telling jokes and doing fa- something completely other.
1: I found it very witty, I must say, yeah. which I wasn't expecting. So when when it yeah. started when I when I started reading it, I thought, oh well okay, this is so this is quite Jane Austen isn't it but it's, it's easier than Jane Austen yeah. I wonder what else it's going to do and actually you're right Cathy she assumes the reader will be familiar with that yeah. and then she starts doing subtle but interesting things with it mm. to keep you and reading assumes and assumes that you the
0: reader knows her books as well I think you know, you've, this yeah. is later yeah. on in her career you've read a lot of Hale. what's she going to come up with this time up? You know, I'm three quarters of the way through. How's she going to get them together? But uh, so each time she's having to think up a new trick, and I think on the whole she does do I, it. I also
1: really think one of the things I really liked about this book, as it went on, is you've definitely got. It's a story about Venetia, the rake Lord Damerel, mm. and Venetia's brother Aubrey, Aubrey. Mm. who is lame. Mm. Right. And she presents to you, these. Th- your sympathies are with these three outsiders. Yeah. Mm. You're constantly being shown yeah. how they can't be free in this yeah. very restricted society in which they've been born. Mm. And they almost form like a separate family group. Mm. You've got, like, Venetia as the mother, Damerel as the father, and, and Aubrey as the, as the son. And I was also thinking, only once does she use the word liberty in relation to Damerill, but libertine is the right word. It's Mm. it's liberty, it's freedom. Mm. He wants to be free to do what he wants to do. Venetia wants to be free to marry who she wants Mm. or not marry. marry.
0: And the arrival of the marriage is what disrupts the household. The arrival of Conway's bride is what completely kicks that into touch and it breaks that up it sort of disestablishes what's going on and it means they have to move away from the house where they're living in this fantasy into some sort of different settlement I think Conway is one of my absolute favourite characters uh, in, in many many books. This is
1: Venetia's elder brother. Elder brother
0: The uh, <laughs> because it, it it was very very close to the end of reading it the first time that I when. He's not going to turn up, is he? <laughs> he's he's, <laughs> the he's, the he's not in this book, and yet you—oh, you know him. Oh, you know this dreadful man. You—you know—you completely capture. You I agree. See him punting on the cam. And, very you know.
1: funny as well. Keeping him off stage again. Like yeah. I say, very witty. Thing to do, Cathy, Have you got? Uh, can you give us a, a flavour of the? Yes,
3: I'll read a bit. One of the other things I think she just does spectacularly is she's so good at terrible characters. She's really brilliant at mansplaining, actually. Loads of <laughs> mansplaining throughout all her books. There's actually Yardley. A great, Yardley. yeah. Edward Yardley. Yardley is a massive mansplainer, what? and I think she's really good on sort of um, jealous and annoying troublemakers. And it's another theme across her books. So in this case, uh, Venetia has been looking after the the household for her brother, who's away at the wars. And um, without telling them, his wife, his new wife, that she, they don't know that he's got married. He's married, and he has this horrible, awful mother-in-law, Brilliant. and they arrive. Great they just arrive character. one day. And so she's talking to Damerel about And by this time, again, they have this really quite amazing friendship. Their initial, quite obvious, clichéd courtship has yeah. mellowed into yeah. this yeah. friendship, where he advises her on what to do, and she listens to him. And... Venetia just doesn't understand why Mrs Scoria is so horrible. And this is what Damerel says to her. One of the advantages of having led a sequestered life is that you've not until now encountered the sort of woman who can't refrain from quarrelling with all who cross her path. She is forever suffering slights and is so unfortunate as to make friends only with such ill-natured persons as soon or late treat her abominably. No quarrel is ever of her seeking. She is the most amiable of created beings and the most long-suffering. It is her confiding disposition which renders her a prey to the malevolent who from no cause whatsoever invariably impose upon her or offer her such intolerable insult that she is obliged to cut the connection. Have I hit the mark? (laughs) Pretty well, said Aubrey, grinning wryly.
0: (laughs) I always think of Mrs Scoria as a version of the best villain in English literature, which is Mrs Norris from Mansfield Park. The evil, evil aunt. Um, But Scoria's just like her and has power, little power over people and, and wields it for yeah. evil and
3: always is sowing the seeds of her own destruction yeah. all the time because she just can't let well alone and will eventually be rooted by yes. whoever
1: mm. you were talking kathy about edward yardley's <laughs> yardley splaining <laughs> <laughs> he, he i've got a really brilliant little bit here that matt and i were discussing this but we we both spotted it made us both laugh out loud so they're in london Uh, He's visiting Venetia in London, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's particularly annoying on that visit, isn't he? Mm. Kind of smart. Yardley laughed heartily, saying how well he knew Venetia's literal mind and promising to show her some places of interest which he ventured to think she might not yet have discovered. He himself had twice visited London and although on the occasion of his first visit he had been too much amazed and bemused to do more than stare about him, when he came for the second time he provided himself with an excellent guidebook. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the idea in which he sees, no, yeah. there's no, I've, got, I've been twice and I've got a guidebook. Let me,
3: let me, let me squire
1: you round. You're merely living Yeah. <laughs>
3: there's another brilliant bit where he says to her, allow me to know that I know you better than you, you know, know yourself. yourself. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So she does another thing. I was very grateful. I promised I would mention this. My friend Catherine Musket, a.k.a. Complete Reader on her Twitter, sent me an essay that she'd written for her degree About Georgette Heyer and intertextuality Mm -hmm. and she had, as luck would have it Venetia was the book that that Catherine focused on this essay is really good and it's full of interesting bits and pieces and I just want to read this, listen to this she spots that Heyer has a thing that she likes doing in her novels of having characters quote Shakespeare to one another Mm. without ever acknowledging to the reader that that's what they're doing yeah. Presupposing that the reader will understand what yeah. the reference is, and she says, but but in Venetia she says it reaches a peak. In addition to the Shakespearean references, the novel features quotations from the Bible, Byron, Ben Jonson, Aubrey, Congreve, Campion, Marlowe, Drayton, Pope, and Samuel Johnson. Many of them italicised but unidentified. Nevertheless, Heyer's protagonists respond to Shakespearean quotations with perfect comprehension, (laughs) apparently enjoying a remarkable familiarity with the complete works of Shakespeare and behaving as though quotation was an entirely natural feature of conversation. (laughs) No matter how obscure the play, Shakespeare is so well known to the person she is writing for, Heyer implies, Mm. that he needs no introduction or explanation.
0: Yes, and And it's a mark of taste and a mark of quality, I think. But also, though, it
3: doesn't matter if you, if you didn't know, it wouldn't alter your enjoyment of it, which mm. is what I think, that's the thing. On the one hand, you could just want to read a Regency romance and you would read this and really enjoy it. But then on the other hand, there's all these other levels. Yeah. And I think that rather than... I always used to... I like them, actually. But you know when you read Detective... I think P.D. James has always got mm. Adam Dalgleish annoyingly quoting Shakespeare at characters who then annoyingly quote Shakespeare and back. Wimsy and and they Harriet do the, vein, yeah, yeah, and they're all, all the And time. they don't half like hit you over the head with it, because they're yeah. always having to explain to you how clever they are. Yeah. But there's none of that here. <laughs> it's seeded gently through so yeah, that the knowledgeable yeah. reader can think oh, Cherry Ripe, how nice. Mm-hmm. But if you don't get that, it doesn't matter and you're not excluded as mm-hmm. a reader. I think it's so, I think it's a bit, a bit of it as well that I really as like. As a
0: side note of this, one of her detective novels, Envious Casca, which I think is, I yeah. don't know where it's from, is it from Julius Caesar? It's been reissued, but they've changed the title and Taken off the yeah a Shakespeare quotation Christmas party, quotation. Christmas Christmas party yeah, so yeah they just reissued it without that so no longer do she do we assume that her readers will be familiar with Shakespeare
3: though I think in that case they just wanted to bring it out as a Christmas, Christmas detective yeah, novel. Yeah, <laughs> <true>. <laughs> 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 to be fair,
2: what I have to say amongst many things that I loved about the book, the 18th century slang that she uses yeah, is fabulous. Yeah. So Just a little I thought, little bit here of this is Damerel, you know the the, 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 the banter between Damerel and Venetia is. Kind of the heart of the book, really. They're, they're, they have this; um, they get on extremely well from the from from the get go. Apart from the unfortunate, you know, kiss, which not that unfortunate. But anyway, I love this. He's talking about some aunts. They're bent on reestablishing me. There are three of them. And they're all antidotes. Two are unmarried and live together. One's fubsy-faced and t'other's <laughs> a squeeze crab. And the eldest is a widow and the most intimidating female you ever beheld. She lives in a mausoleum in Grosvenor Square. Rarely stirs out of it, but holds a reception's very like the Queen's drawing rooms. She's clutch-fisted, dressed like a quiz, has neither wit nor amiability, and yet by means unknown to me, unless it be by force of character, and I'll allow she has that, has persuaded the ton that she is a second Lady Cork, to whose salons it is an honour to be invited. She sounds very disagreeable. She is very disagreeable. <laughs> a veritable dragon. <laughs> but there's a lot in a short well, space. I'm going to say a bit about... The tongue.
1: I'm going to say a bit about the little potted biography of Georgia Hare yeah. because yeah. I, we should talk a little bit about the things that she was famous for in her yeah. writing lifetime as well because they are very relevant to what we're talking about in terms of that detail, John. <laughs> you know. So Georgia Hare is born in 1902 and she dies in 1974... Uh, she's the eldest of three children. Her first novel, The Black Moth, based on her younger brother's haemophilia, was published in 1921 when she was 19. And her father died in 1925, leaving Georgette Hayer with financial responsibility for the whole family. So, and in 1926, she's already... So how old is she? She's like 24. She releases her sixth novel, mm-hmm. the aforementioned These Old Shades. Mm-hmm. And it's a Georgian romance, and it's the making of her. It sells 190,000 copies, despite no reviews or advertising because of the general strike, which is occurring at the same time, with the result that because it sold many copy, so many copies, we don't have any audio of Georgette Hayer to play into the show today because she gave almost no interviews or did any publicity mm. no, she, for the rest she, of her she life. She right?
2: absolutely refused, didn't she?
0: Yeah. And she
1: basically, she invents, as we discussed, the Regency romance. And she was a ferocious researcher. So the books are full of very specific primary research that she found not just in books. She had like a library of a thousand books, but also private letters that she would buy at auction to try and squirrel out particular details about costume or language. And she was active in the courts pursuing other writers who had ripped her off and she could often prove that they were using language which she had uncovered specifically in a private letter but she also she didn't always get very good reviews she i have a reference to her here as mistress of the sheerest kind of romantic fluff and she wrote an essay for punch i don't know if you've read this called How to Be a Literary Critic. (laughs) This is her response to to some of those reviews. If when you are first-handed the latest work of one whom you suspect to be your literary superior, you feel that it would be effrontery for you to criticise, do not decline to do so. (laughs) Remember that no qualifications are necessary for a literary (laughs) critic and that furthermore this is the day of the little man. <laughs> when the more insignificant you are, and the more valueless your opinions, the greater will be your chance of obtaining a hearing.
0: <laughs> so
1: I think she sort of cared and didn't care, didn't yeah, she? I mean, she sold these like she vast really quantities.
0: Harboured ambitions to be. Lit- I mean, she writes five or six literary novels really at the start, and then she suppresses them later, uh, and really? then she yeah yeah, yeah you you can't get them. You probably them through the library or something, but uh, but these these don't you know you can't get them they're not reissued, and then she does a book called Penhallow, uh, yeah, yeah, which she sort of uh, clearly in her mind she thinks that this is going to be the thing that establishes her as a literary writer, and the problem with Penhallow is it's shit. (laughs) <laughs> it's a really, it's a really oh, bad, a so a I really bad then, book.
3: I read somewhere, and I don't remember where. I thought Penn Hallow, she, it was purposefully bad because she wanted to break her contract with that publisher. Is that no, she true? Oh,
0: I, I, my impression was she... Did, well, no, no. That's I just, what I... That's, really I don't know where I have that information
3: it. from. I, but I, I think where she's going to be...
0: You know, she thinks it's going to be... But it's oh. a terrible, terrible it's book. It's an awful
3: novel, yeah. But then
0: what she does... And it's, it's not badly reviewed, but what she... It's tepidly reviewed, and I think it's not the breakout book. And then after that, it's just Regencies. But the next book is Friday's Child, and that is that's brilliant. And that's, that's, yeah. that's And that, is that the yeah.
2: breakout Regency uh, book for her then? No, yeah. These, Old These Old Shades is the breakout. Yeah, right.
0: But after Penhello, it's the the crime drops off. There's no more literary. It's just the Regencies and mm. But she really, you know, she's not she, a very likable person.
1: She does, You're right. She doesn't come across as terribly likable. There's a bri- brilliant yeah. quotes here. <laughs> about how annoyed she was. She's constantly being harassed for tax. She's yeah, yeah. constantly having tax <laughs> oh, problems. So she writes
0: Venetia to pay a tax bill. Does right? she? Right? Yeah, she yeah. says
1: here, she says, oh, these tax bills, she says. This is in a letter to her lawyer. I'm getting so tired of writing books for the benefit of the Treasury. <laughs> and I can't tell you how utterly I resent the squandering of my money, underlined, on such fatuous things as education. <laughs> And making life easy and luxurious for so called workers.
0: <laughs> I mean, I,
1: I
2: think we can guess. It, it, it's yeah. time <laughs> has come again, Andy. She, she took back control. She painted <laughs> the modern age. Didn't she? She, she would often yeah. inveigh against the, the, the wretched time to be alive. And she, she despised the whole sort of the, the industry of publicity and yeah. uh, and you know authors talking about their work. And, I and think she
0: was very concerned about doing a good job. And, and obviously very concerned about sales.
2: <laughs> John was
1: talking about the, the use yeah. of slang. She's so bri- there's like I must try and work into my everyday. Funny. I want to be. I'm yeah, my everyday uses her are euphemisms. You funny? Her, mu- her euphemisms for drunk are brilliant. Like <laughs> right, she's obviously found yeah. like a list yeah. in yeah. somewhere of art. Right, she says. He released her, pressing his hands over his eyes. Hell and the devil. I'm jug bitten.
4: Yeah. I'm
1: drunk as a wheelbarrow.
4: Yeah.
1: I've eaten, and, and his valet says,
2: "Look out, Miss Venetia. He's eaten whole cheese." Yeah. I discovered that Bambury story. I'd never heard a Bambury oh. story before. Which, and a Bambury story was the original cock and bull story—a sort of a Bambury story oh. of a cock and bull. So, without suggesting that it remotely smells of the lamp, because it, she does make it work. I don't know, there's just, uh, it's, it's quite... The, what I was most reminded of was, was sort of Jane Austen. In fact, Rachel, who, my wife, who's a big fan, she said they're a bit like straight-to-DVD sequels to Jane Austen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that She happily identified her two types of male hero. Do you know this? Mm, As it. the no. Mark I and the no. Mark II. <laughs> and the Mark I is a sort of Rochester stroke yeah. Heathcliff yeah, yeah, figure, yeah, yeah. and the Mark II is more of a Darcy. Yeah. Right. And she she wrote. um, And
0: Oswald and Yardley think that they're. uh, Yeah. yeah. But
1: she knew. The thing is, she knew that. And she was. Yeah. She she wrote another essay called Books About the Bronte's, funnily enough, given in Sam Ellis' book that we were talking about. And she said this about Charlotte Bronte. She said, Charlotte Bronte knew perhaps instinctively how to create a hero who would appeal to women throughout the ages. And to her must all succeeding romantic novelists acknowledge their indebtedness. For Mr. Rochester was the first. And the nonpare of his type, <laughs> very Haye word that. The nonpare of his type, he is the rugged and dominant male who can yet be handled by quite ordinary a female, as it might be oneself. Exclamation <laughs> mark. He is rude, overbearing, and often a bounder. But these blemishes, however repulsive they may be in real life, can be made in the hands of a skilled novelist. Extremely attractive, Charlotte Bronte immensely skilled, knew just where to draw the line. Mm. And actually, I think that's the brilliant thing, Cathy, about Haya, that she, as, we were, as you were saying, she takes things that you sort of feel familiar and then makes them yeah, much better than they need to be twist. and funnier.
3: The not turning out how they're supposed to be. The rakes are always very ready to be reformed as well,
0: which or, is... Or not quite as rakish as reputation Not quite as racist, yes, exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of...
2: Daniel um, yeah. Yeah, turns out to be a t- thoroughly decent human being, doesn't mm. he? Yes. I mean, I mean, it it is, to some extent, predictable. You know, you can see what's going to happen. We were talking earlier about them being unpopular. We were saying Jermaine Greer didn't like them. Mm -hmm. And I can sort of see it. They're they're either strong feminist kind of uh, heroines, or they're slightly... You know, the kind of feminist heroines that aren't that feminist, really, because in the end... I doubt
3: they stand up to a feminist reading, do they? Which, personally, I don't care about. But they've been somewhat reclaimed,
1: haven't they? That's what's interesting about these things. Mm. Like we were saying about the Brontes earlier, that Jermaine Greer is very dismissive of of, of them. Carmen Khalil, very dismissive of them. Mm. Carmen Khalil says she basically just rejigged the plot of Jane Eyre 57 times. But did she um, read
3: 57 books? I yeah, bet she bloody it didn't. Bet she didn't. You know exactly. that's the thing when but but then that
1: people generation people were around when yes. she was alive, and there might well be a case. I think, yeah. you know, that it takes. This is a very Welbeckian idea. <laughs> that, that what happens is critics never change their mind; yeah, yeah. they people just
2: die, and then another generation of critics yeah. comes up and takes their place. Do you think this is the first time Welbeck and Georgia Hare have been. <laughs> But not a Probably never when, yeah. when Miller and I are on the <laughs> chat. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. very true. Very
3: true.
2: I mean I do think you would have to have a sort of, you know, as they say, a heart of stone not to I mean to, to just cheer pleasure of you know, she's a she's a very good she's a very good storyteller, a master storyteller. she is though. I, thought I,
0: thought it was, yeah, I, I, I really plot enjoyed plot it. Work. I mean, the the moment yeah. where the um, the wife arrives, Conway's wife, she kind of puts an appearance in. You pull back from the book and you go, that is bang on halfway, yeah. and now yes. we've, yes. Turned, we've noticed, turned the motor and we're off again. Too, and I, and yeah. then I think you yeah. said something about three quarters of the way through. Yeah. She's not messing about. This is, this so, is a fine tune. Yeah. So why
1: why this one, Kathy? Yes. Um, good question.
0: Well, it, the, the, they're not all good. Some of them are
1: peculiar.
3: Yeah. So I have a kind of a handful of favourites. And actually, it was just this was the one I fancied rereading most. Great. Because because <laughs> I read them again and again and again. I read them all the time. i I've got a shelf of them, and usually because I can't read new things before going to sleep because if it's yeah. any good, I don't go to sleep. I stay up all night reading it, which is obviously nice on a one-off, but it's not actually achievable <laughs> in general. <laughs> I love
2: these readings, like so so, me having to read. Consoling yes. tales of yes. rural life no. to get oh, me out oh. of bed in the morning and you having to read books no, you've already read. I do, so yeah. The secret <laughs> story of this podcast is always yeah. <laughs> the secret anguish
1: of reading.
3: Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, entirely totally
1: true. I, I like to think I measure in that, that Kathy yeah. is so, you're so good on this topic. Yeah. You know, we don't want anyone to feel sorry for us, Did but you? when it comes down to it, I, you know, I was really, I'm just, it's not my, I hate the phrase, but it's not my comfort zone at all. Mm. So I'm trying it's to. <laughs> Richard's remotes is not when your I, bag. When I, started,
3: uh, when I started reading it, obviously with the eyes of oh, I've given Andy and John this to read. I started reading it thinking, like, Oh God, it's awful, and why did I choose this one? and I should have chosen something else. And then I just got into it and thought, Oh fuck it, um, I, it it's okay, you know.
1: <laughs> or Gammon. <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> I'm so pleased uh, as well. I must add, and this is true. I'm so pleased to have read it.
4: Mm.
2: I
1: mean, not a, to yeah. have finished it, but yeah. I mean to have be someone who's read it. No, I, mean, this a I feel a me. little. I, love, bit, I mean, I, you know.
2: I, I, I'm interested that we. It's not even. It would you know it would never have occurred to us to read a Georgia Hare, and what, why that is, and why yeah. that the, the sort of the, the fact that there's that there are boys' books and girls' books at all seems to me to be curious, and that these I'm I'm absolutely struck by how many really really smart. Women who've gone on to be writers or academics, absolutely... You know, when you say Georgia Hare, they go, Yes, shes I love her.
3: I think she's right on that list of books that loads of people will slag off without never having yeah. been anywhere near. Yeah. Yeah. Which, let's face, yeah. is a long list. And I and, yeah. think
0: she was read by men. During her lifetime, I think she mm. was—I think she was read yeah, as a historical novelist. Yeah.
3: yeah, I always just have this idea that she researches so well. I mean, I don't know whether she gets the stuff right about the steel foundries or Stevenson's rocket or whatever it is, and I'm sure it's not Stevenson's rocket because, again, it's not the sort of detail I notice, so I wouldn't yeah. remember it. But there's loads of stuff in that, and also. There's quite often, I think, it's in that one where you've got a lazy Aristo and his, the, the, the sort of the eager young man who is his secretary is trying to make him take an interest in parliamentary matters and he mm. won't. You know, that, all those sorts of things. So there's always this very I think nicely done said, background. When we were talking about
0: her on Twitter, and maybe it was Complete Reader. She said she was, the, uh, she was a, a man's woman. Uh, it's, so she, was, she, she liked the company of men. There's a lovely quote, A.S. Byatt quotes. Haya uh, knows the ways in which men of birth used up their energy when they weren't Mm. fighting wars she knows all about, and this is apparently what men do sheep breeding, (laughs) the new crops of turnips, swedes and (laughs) manglewurzels, about coke of Norfolk, tolls drill, manures and rotation of crops and this is what men do, apparently. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> That's very interesting, that idea that she was published,
1: that what was interesting about her books yeah. in publishing terms, and um, presumably, therefore, was part, a big part of her success, mm. Mm. was this conspicuous... Sorry, this is a, the, all these words are loaded. Conspicuous, is, it, it sounds pejorative in some way. I don't, I don't mean it to be. this conspicuous research. She did the research, yeah. and she puts it on the page for the reader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's part of the pleasure of, yeah. of reading them. Yeah. I wonder if the equivalent in male terms, to some extent, and I'm yeah. sure people who are listening to this will disagree, but I'm, I wonder if it's rather like uh, uh, Patrick O'Brien... That, right. the, that the presentation of I both research I, and now, seeming authenticity is part of the appeal. No, I don't think that. No, I don't think that. Let me clarify what I mean. I just Sorry, think yes. that's part of the appeal of Patrick O'Brien's books.
2: I think you're right. I think that there's a cumulative. I can see why you would want to read more than one. Because mm, I think there's a sort a of. Like O'Brien, that's a really good comparison. There's a sort of cumulative effect that there's a whole. I mean, you know, she's, she's mistress of this world. Mm. Also...
0: I think the wives bought them and the husbands read them. Yeah. And with O'Brien, mm. the husbands I, I would
2: also say, I think, I think she's... You know, when, she, when she's... You know, she's a good writer. I, there's just a little paragraph here, which I, I noticed. I thought anyone would be pleased to write a paragraph like this. Aubrey remained for ten days at the Priory, and even the weather conspired to make them halcyon days for his sister. There was only one wet and chilly day in all the ten and then the gold of the mellowing landscape crept into the house, for Damrel had a fire kindled in the library, and its light flickering over the tool backs of the volumes that lined the room from wainscot to cornice made them glow like turning leaves. That's pretty good.
3: It's pretty nice. I must say my editor would have been very... uh cross with her pen about the fact that there are three days or day in quite quick succession (laughs) which i never used to notice that sort of thing until the the brilliant francesca May has made me hyper aware of it it's true
1: the repetition of words there's another really nice passage here about there's a very short description of london at night yes it seemed as though no one ever went to bed in london Yeah, yeah and whenever during a lull in the apparently endless flow of traffic she dropped off to sleep She was very soon jerked awake by the voice of the watchman, proclaiming the hour and the state of the weather. She could only suppose that the ears of Londoners had been bludgeoned into insensitivity and trust that her own would soon grow accustomed to the ceaseless racket. Mm. And being a well-mannered girl, presently assured her aunt that she had passed an excellent night (laughs) and was feeling perfectly restored from the effects of her journey. Oh, that's
2: great. Isn't that good?
1: Cathy and Una, if we were minded to press ahead
4: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with
1: Georgette Hayer. should we read other of her Regency romances? Mm-hmm. Should we read her crime? Should we read her, uh, her novels set in other periods of
0: history? Her journals? <laughs> 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 yeah, the handful I of think
3: letters. the Regency... The best Regency romances are the best ones. Yeah. I'd say Frederica is very good. Also, False Colours, which is very interesting. It has identical twins who change places. Identical twin boys who are both 24. And again, there's all sorts of manly stuff. What's about that called? Night. Did you say False Colours? False, colours. false colours, yeah. <laughs> yeah and, um, and one of them has, is very much in the petticoat line. Mm. And he has to marry a, a girl called Cressida Stavely to save his mother. His mother is a terrible... Uh, she's terribly in debt... So he has to save the scandal of his mother. He has to get married so that he can release the trust. And he has to marry this girl. But he goes off to finish with the ladybird in Tunbridge Wells that he's been shacked up with. And then he has an accident. And his brother, who's a diplomat, has to step in and pretend to be him for a bit. And then, of course, they all start falling in love with different people. It's very funny. And that sounds,
1: I have to say that. You've made that sound. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. That I'll great. see you back here in a fortnight.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and the talisman ring as well. That's okay. a
0: favourite of mine. That involves smugglers you yeah. I mean, have you got
2: a favourite?
0: Uh, my favourite is Friday's Child, which is okay. about a bunch of very young, very rich airheads uh, who <laughs> get married sort of by accident on the mm-hmm. first page, and pretty much, and then have to sort of, sort of make it work. Money helps, uh, and that's hilarious. It's that a, so funny. Again, uh, just really well-crafted and just... And again, that's that a
3: very good one. The heroine is not, because there is a beauty called mm, Isabella Milbourne, who, and people are always fighting jewels over her, but she's not the heroine. The yeah, heroine yeah, yeah, is yeah. the small, scruffy, poor girl. Mm. And then there's a fabulous sort of abortive elopement that, again, just takes the piss out of the whole genre magnificently. And the circle of friends. Brings it all around well, beautifully. The circle of friends, Ferdy and, yeah, yeah. and oh, Gil yeah. and all that lot, it's oh, so fantastic. funny. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> sorry to you. I have to tell our listeners that Mitch is
2: sitting here reading Georgia Hayes to himself <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I, I, that's I, it now every got, single batch.
0: she's a great <laughs> a,
2: she's a great one for the testy pup I love that
3: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
2: obstinate whelp
3: yes. there's also just in case you don't read the others because of course this one go is on. set very the whole point about it is Venetia has never really gone further than mm-hmm. Harrogate and although they go to London briefly you don't get much of it but actually the ones set in London where you have the court. Yeah. Yeah. And you have balls mm. and all that sort of thing, and the other ones where people go mm. to the country and then they go to birth to take the air. So all that stuff, and I think it's one of the reasons why it is satisfying to obsessively reread them again and again and again, <laughs> because of all sorts of personal peculiarities. Is because there is this interconnected world. Yeah. So you read something in one that will explain the reference you didn't quite get in yeah, the other yeah. one about watering holes or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it kind okay. of it, it adds up and up and up and up. Dr. McCormack,
1: is there a Georgia Hayer?
0: Fanfic. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Good heavens, yeah. <laughs> There's <yes>. Middlemarch fanfic. <laughs> of course there is. Yeah, of course
2: there is. I, d- I don't know, I'm just getting old, but I, d- I, found, uh, I found Venetia quite uh, alluring as a female. Did you?
1: Yeah, did, it's yeah. her laughing voice. Mm. Maybe. She maybe says a lot of, a... of things laughingly.
4: It's Do a very narrowing
3: reflection. Do you know what it is? I think I'm older than Damerol. Yeah.
4: <gasps> I'm definitely older He's than He's 38.
3: 38. Yeah, I know. I mean, a child. But, of course, yeah. when I first read this book, he was sort of a mid old, yeah. And yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, now the libertine John Mitchinson <laughs> sign us out.
3: I think we should all twirl uh, our cravats. But I and... think we're,
2: we're all giving ourselves... We're all sort of, you know, throwing our hats in the air and saying gammon and...
4: We
1: are throwing yeah. our hats in the air, I agree.
2: Yeah, um, because I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and yeah, I, don't, I honestly don't think we would have probably got to Georgette Hare without your yeah. firm push, Cathy. I
3: shall go to my grave, a happy woman, hopefully not too soon. Um, I don't think it's in here, but can I just share my favourite, I I use this for describing my own uh, relationship with inebriation. Can I tell you my favourite heirism? Yes. I'm three parts disguised. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously I'm not at the moment, but who knows? Yeah,
2: it's, 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 it's... it's good, it's good, it's lovely. I suppose that's a, probably a good point to, um, to pull, the, mm-hmm. pull the curtains, the, mm-hmm. the damask screens. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to Una McCormick, to Kathy Rensenbrink, to our producer Matt Hall, and thanks once again to our sponsors, Unbound. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at BacklistedPod, on Facebook, BacklistedPod, and on the Unbound website, unbound.com forward slash Backlisted. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another episode in a fortnight. Until then, <laughs> farewell.
1: You can choose to listen to Backlisted with or without adverts. If you prefer to listen to it without adverts, you can join us on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash backlisted, where you also get bonus content of two episodes of Lock Listed, the podcast where we talk about the books and films and music that we've been listening to over the last uh, couple of weeks.